Amen. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 35. We're going to pick up where we left off last week at verse 13. Over the, I mean at 16. Over the past several weeks, we have been looking at our third patriarch of the faith, Jacob. This morning, um, really, we're going to, for the most part, wind down him being the center of our focus. And next week, we'll begin transitioning into um, his son, Joseph. And we'll spend uh, many weeks just looking at Joseph and, and all of the things that are surrendered, surrounding his life. Um, with Jacob, last week we saw Jacob shine when he became finally the spiritual leader of his home. He led his family to clean house, if you remember, to rid the idols from their homes and lives and to purify themselves in the sight of the Lord. Then he moved his family back to Bethel where he established another um, altar, another house of worship. But what we'll see this morning is we will see Jacob experience several catastrophic storms in his life. And as we know, none of us are safe from life's storms. I've said this before, all of us are going to experience storms. Some of those storms are going to have a little sprinkle with them. Some of them are going to have some embedded thunder. Others will produce hell, some tornadoes, and others are going to be Cat 5 hurricanes. You know, growing up, one of my favorite places to visit was Six Flags. Anybody in here want to admit that? Yeah, a few of us in here, we love Six Flags. Man, I used to love roller coasters. Man, I would always ride the biggest, the baddest, the most scariest one there. But something happened. I got older. Um, Can anybody relate to that? As I got older and I tried to ride those rides with my kids when we would go to Six Flags, getting off of those things now, it feels like I got hit by a Mack truck. No fun at all. But, but life is very much like a roller coaster. Man, it's full of ups and downs. There's wicked turns. There's, 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 there's spirals. There's all kinds of things. And another thing that happens on a roller coaster, a lot of times there's those abrupt stops, aren't there? Another way of looking at life is by saying that life is, is in, in many ways is like a mountaintop experience or a valley. I think all of us in this room understand life in those terms because we have experienced the exhilaration that comes with being on top of the mountain, and we have experienced the crushing blows of life that come when we live in the valley. Last week, we saw Jacob lead his family to the mountain of Bethel. This morning, we're going to witness what happens to him when he walks through the valley. Jacob is going to experience some Cat 5 hurricanes within our study this morning. So notice our first point. It is this, Rachel's tragic death. Begin reading with me in verse 16 of Genesis chapter 35. Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benani, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. In this passage, we are told that Jacob 
would journey from Bethel, and somewhere between Bethel and Bethlehem, Rachel goes into labor. Remember, Rachel was Jacob's first love and his greatest love. And for many years of their marriage, she was actually barren, unable to have children. But she would finally get pregnant, and she would have a son, and name that son Joseph. But if you remember from our study from chapter 30, Rachel was not satisfied with just one son, was she? In the latter part of Genesis chapter 30, verse 24, her first reaction after Joseph is born was, may the Lord add to me another son. I have never heard a mother say right after giving birth, let's do this again. I want another one. Most moms want to savor the moment, don't they? And enjoy the child born to them before they begin thinking about bringing another child into the world. But not Rachel. She cherished Joseph, but she wanted another child. Now years later, while in the process of giving birth, her midwife makes this declaration. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. Rachel would get that second son. But his birth would be her last act as a wife and as a mother. Rachel names her son Benani. The name Benani means son of sorrow. I think Rachel knew that she was not going to survive the birth process. She rejoices at his birth. But she also ascribes a name that would reflect the somberness of the moment. Jacob, though, immediately names him Benjamin, meaning son of my right side. So the last words Rachel heard that are recorded in Scripture would have been words of comfort. She would have known that Benjamin was going to be well taken care of by his father, Jacob. He was going to grow up at the right side of his father. You realize that at the right side of a person is a place of position, of strength and honor. We see that throughout Scripture. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Where is he seated? He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is a tragic story this morning. But it is also a story of assurance. Moses recorded in verse 18, as her soul was departing. Folks, we are not just flesh and bone, are we? This body will one day give out. We are, we are flesh, bone, and spirit. And Scripture says that our spirit at the moment of death for the believer will be ushered into the presence of God the Father and God the Son. For the unbeliever, their spirit will be ushered into a real place called hell. Following her death, Rachel would be buried somewhere on the road to Bethlehem. Where she lay, a pillar was built to mark the physical, bodily resting place of her. You know, this is something we still do today, isn't it? We have headstones that mark the place where we lay our loved ones. Moses tells us that hundreds of years after Rachel was buried, that pillar still stood. Pillars are not built for the dead. We know this. But they are built for the living. 
They are built as a marking place for the one whom we love. We know they are not there, but it helps us to celebrate their lives when we visit their graveside, right? You know, um, periodically, I'll go um, with my dad to Blue Ridge, and we will visit the place where my mom rests, where my grandmother rests, and where my grandfather rests, and other family members rest. We know that they are not there. We go, though, to help us remember them. My, my mother-in-law, um, her ashes were spread somewhere in, in Ireland. Um, but there is a memorial marker at Old City Park in Wiley that we go to periodically. She's not there, but that memorial marker reminds us of her. It helps us to keep her close. The same is true with this marker here that was built by, by, by Jacob. It was a place of remembrance for the entire nation of Israel. With life comes death. Some lives are cut way too short, and others live into their triple digits. I wish I could explain why, but what I know is that God knows the number of our days, and he has promised us as believers to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. This gives us comfort knowing that where our loved one is, we shall one day be with them. You know, Paul was not a man that was immune to tragedy in his life. He penned these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in response to his own trials that he was going through. He he wrote, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should lead me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God will give you the strength to weather life's greatest storms. At the moment you are in that storm, you may not believe it, but the sun is shining as bright as it ever has, isn't it? It's just hidden behind those storm clouds. God's going to give us the ability to get through those storms. Know that, please. Notice our next point. Notice Reuben's outrageous sin. In verses 21 through 26, we read, of one, it's just, this is a tragedy that is it's hard to even explain what, 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 what goes on here. But we read, Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. While Israel lived in the land, Reuben went and lay with Bila, his father's concubine. And Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The son of, Rachel's, of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. The sons of Billah, Rachel's servant, Dan, and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpha, Leah's servant, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. So while Jacob is in the midst of mourning and grieving, the loss of his wife, Rachel, Moses tells us that Reuben, who was Jacob's firstborn son, went and laid with his father's concubine, 
Billa. Not only was Billa his father's concubine or one of his wives, but she was also the mother of two of Reuben's brothers. She would have been his stepmother. Folks, this is wrong in so many ways, isn't it? I, why this is it in God's Word, why the Lord um, wants us to study this is beyond me. But it's here, and we're going to study it because we can learn from it. What makes this story even more wrong and disturbing is that Jacob does not even address this sin with his son. Jacob, Jacob was very much a passive father, wasn't he? He rarely, rarely do we see him in any way address sin with his children. We do not see him often discipline them. If you and I were to take this approach to raising our children, then we would be doing them an injustice, wouldn't we? Stephen Cole shares some important instructions for Christian parents. Our first goal as parents should be to lead our children to experience a genuine conversion with Christ. Now, we cannot control whether our children become followers of Jesus Christ or not. We cannot force them to to become followers of Jesus. We can't force them to take up their cross and follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. But while they are in our house, we can certainly raise them upon godly principles. We can teach them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We can teach them how they too can become a follower of Jesus. We can't force them, but we can teach them for sure. We are also to teach our children to grow in godliness. We are to teach them to cultivate godly relationships. We need to encourage our kids to have Christian friends, godly friends. What does scripture say? Iron sharpens iron. We are able to grow in our relationship with other believers. We're here this morning as a body of believers so that we can grow together in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We not only want our kids to be at church, but we need to be teaching them about Christ in our homes and the importance of growing in godly relationship. We also need to provide them with biblical instruction, with moral instruction. We need to teach them right from wrong, and we need to... Teach them to learn and respect and honor those in authority. If they don't learn right from wrong when they are young, they most likely will grow up into lawless adults, won't they? We're seeing that more and more sweep across our land and even around our world. Reuben was the oldest of Jacob's sons. He should have been the one to receive the bulk of his father's inheritance since that was his birthright. But come the end of Jacob's life, he will finally discipline his son, Reuben. Notice what we read in Genesis 49, 1 through 5, when Reuben should have been receiving the birthright as the firstborn son. This is what he got instead. Then Jacob called his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Reuben may have thought that he got away with what he did, 
But in the end, he would be judged, found guilty, and left with nothing but shame and humiliation. Continue walking with me through this chapter. Our third point this morning is this, Isaac's final breath. In verses 27 through 29, we read these words. And Jacob came to his father, Isaac, at Mamre, or Kiriath Arabah, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. And Isaac breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So after what is believed to be 40 or so years, Jacob has returned home. You know, I bet you there were a million emotions that flooded through him as he walked upon that land for the first time in so many years. Have you ever walked the hallways of an old home and just reminisced about the good old days? Have you ever done that? You know, there's something, you know, um, periodically I'll drive by my childhood home. I'll drive by the first home that Danny and, and I had, the, the home that, that we raised Connor and Caitlin in, and just reminisce about the good old days. A few weeks ago, um, my dad and sister and I went to um, my grandparents' home. Um, my cousin lives there now, and they recently renovated that home. And, and we went into it. It was the first time that I'd been in there since before my, my grandparents passed away. And, and we walked in and kind of walked through those hallways and reminisced about the good old days. And as I was thinking about the good old days, I, I was just, a flood of emotions came over me. I remember almost every Sunday we would go there for lunch. Um, my, my grandmother would always have lunch prepared for us, man. She would, she would have some of that sweet iced tea that puts chicken express to shame. You know that it's more molasses than it is anything. Um, I, I remember as I looked out the front window at the creek bed that we used to, um, fish for crawdads in. Um, we walked back to the back barn where we used to play with my grandfather's tools, I, I remember just sitting in the living room and, and looking at the spot where my grandfather used to sit and smoke his pipe. Um, just just a, a, a ton of emotions um, ran over me. It was a time of sweet memories. Something else I recalled, it used to be a much bigger house than what I remembered. I mean, this thing is tiny. It's about 1,100 square feet, but man, when I was growing up, it was about 10,000 square feet. Memories are amazing. But visiting the old stomping ground is never the same as when we lived them. Jacob had returned to the place where he was raised, but it was not his home. He had built a home. His home was in Bethel. It was a place where he was raising his 13 children. This was his childhood home, but it was not his current home. His mother had already passed, and his father was preparing to take his final breath as he steps foot onto that land again. This passage leads us to believe that Isaac would see both Jacob and Esau before he took his final breath. The brothers had already reconciled. Remember that from a couple of weeks ago. But now they are back together, and, 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 and they bury their father side by side. Funerals have a way of bringing family together. They have a way of mending broken relationships. I know that's happened in my family, and I'm sure it's happened in your family. You, you show up for a funeral, and you haven't talked to that relative maybe in years, and all of a sudden there's a reconciliation that occurs. Notice our final point this morning. We're going to look at Genesis 36, verse 1. 
We read um, here at this point is Esau, a successful failure. In verse 1, these are the generation of Esau. That is Edom. Now, I'm not going to read to you all of Genesis 36. I want to encourage you to read this chapter yourself this week. But I do want to point out that when you read chapter 36, you will read of a man that was blessed with much worldly success. He had many wives. He had many children. His sons would become chiefs. From his sons, kings would come. He had great possessions, numbers, and might. In the eyes of the world, Esau would have been a success. But how many godly offspring did he produce? That is what matters when our lives are summed up. Not how much wealth we produce, but how many lives were eternally changed as a result of our living. We know from the line of Jacob, the nation of Israel would come. Priests and kings would come. Israel's greatest king, King David, would be born. And from the line of Jacob would come the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. God came and took on flesh and dwelt among us. That's the kind of children and lineage produced from Jacob. Esau may have had success in the eyes of man, but in the eyes of God, as far as we know, he died having never repented of his sins nor following after the Lord in faith. And may that not be said of us. And I pray that from our children and grandchildren, an army of believers will come that will penetrate this dark world for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jacob would experience tragedy in his life, as all of us will and have. But know that God can produce much good from the storms we are in or have been in or even the ones that await us. Pastor David Dykes shared this great illustration about the death of golfer Payne Stewart. Now, for us that are a little older, we know and remember who Payne Stewart was. But in October of 1999, Payne's jet crashed into the ground at over 600 miles per hour. Investigators determined the occupants of the jet died before um, died from asphyxiation long before the jet crashed. There was no body to be retrieved because of the impact of the crash. But not long before the crash, Payne Stewart had become a believer. He had experienced that greatest mountaintop high that a person could experience. He, was just recently given, he had just recently given his life to Jesus, and he was wearing a WWJD bracelet. Y'all remember those? What would Jesus do bracelets when he won the U.S. Open? At the crash scene, the only thing his wife Tracy was able to retrieve was his wedding ring, a gold chain he had worn since the first night they met, and his WWJD bracelet, and his daily devotional book he read faithfully. When Tracy examined his devotional book, she discovered the corner of the page turned down for that day's devotional. The scripture was Acts twenty six eighteen that speaks of how our job is to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Payne had underlined the printed prayer for that day's devotion, and it read, Grant that I may be used to open the eyes of others and turn them from darkness to light, 
so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in Jesus. That was perhaps the last prayer that Payne had ever uttered. Tracy later observed since Payne's funeral, over a thousand people had written her telling her that they had trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because of his testimony. She wrote, it was as if God were saying, even in the midst of tragedy, I will have a witness. On the mountaintop is a brilliant Savior, glowing with the glory of God. In the valley, there are messed up people who cry out for help. On the mountaintop is a holy worship. Down in the valley, there's hard work to do. On the mountain, we find strength and serenity. In the valley, we find frustration and failure often. On the mountaintop is delight. In the valley, there are demons, disease, and even death. But do not be afraid, for as David wrote in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It's good news, isn't it, this morning? Comforting me. God is with us. He is with us as we face the storms of life. He is with us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He is with us when we face marriage struggles, work struggles, financial struggles, health struggles, family struggles. He is with us on the mountain, and He is with us as we walk through the valley. We can learn from both of those spots, can't we? You may be here this morning, and you may be experiencing one of life's greatest storms. I want you to know, not only am I here for you, to pray with you and to walk with you through this, but there is an army of believers that make up this church that are here with you as well. They want to walk with you and encourage you as well. You may be here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you were to die today, you don't know where you would spend eternity. I'm going to be standing here at the front. I would love to share with you how you can know for certain that when you die, you will spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. I also want you to know that I'm here to pray for you or with you. Others are here to pray for you or with you. After this service, we're here to pray with you and for you as well. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. If there's a decision you need to make, I want to invite you to come. Father God, we come before you this morning. Father God, recognizing that, that life is full of mountaintop experiences. Times in our lives, Father, we're just growing and growing and growing in our relationship with you. But we know, Father, we can't live life on the mountain forever. There are times we've got to come down into the valley where real life occurs, where tragedy happens, where the loss of loved ones occur where the struggles that come with this sin-filled world and life happen. But Father, we know that just like you're with us when we're on the mountain, you're with us when we're in the valley. And we take great comfort in knowing that. Father, I pray this morning, if there is someone that is experiencing one of those tragedies of life, or just struggling to get on the other side of a tragedy, Father, I pray that they will know that they are in the right place this morning. 
there are men and women in this room that would love to walk with them and encourage them and to pray over them and to pray for them. I know we're here as a staff team as well. Father, I don't know what decision needs to be made, but I know that you know. If there's someone here this morning that does not have a relationship with you, may today be the day of their salvation. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. 